Good day to everyone out there tuning in for this 12th episode of Egypt Travel Blog Podcast, the show all about travel to and around Egypt as a visitor, a tourist, a lifelong dreamer of one day visiting the pyramids and the Sphinx and the tombs of the pharaohs, etc., etc. You've tuned into the right place because the Egypt Travel Blog Podcast is the number one resource anywhere in the world, I promise you, on the logistics, the specifics, the deets on traveling to Egypt as a foreign visitor, especially as a first-time foreign visitor. Those of you who listen to the show, and especially those of you who follow up and communicate with me by email to get specific recommendations and advice about your upcoming trips to Egypt, You all know by now that I publish EgyptTravelBlog.com and do this podcast because I love Egypt and I love being in Egypt and traveling around Egypt and I love sharing what I know about Egypt with others who want to go there too. So I have to tell you, until recently, the only real idea I had about the volume of people playing and downloading and tuning in repeatedly to these episodes came from the emails I received from listeners. I receive quite a few emails every week and I personally respond to every single one I get. But I've never really been interested in following up or checking stats for the podcast. I think I looked a time or two last year and was pleased that by then a few hundred people had started downloading it and getting some benefit from me sharing all this knowledge and experience with you. However, I have to tell you that last week I logged into the show's hosting dashboard because I have a few other podcasts that I do too. And I was looking into consolidating the hosting into just one account. And holy Moses. You know, I was really kind of blown away to see how many people were listening to this podcast and on a pretty regular basis, too, it seems. And what really blows me away even more is that this is obviously such a niche topic area. I mean, it's not a general show about history or even Egyptian history or society and culture, although I certainly do cover a lot of that on the show simply because it's usually quite relevant to traveling to and exploring Egypt. But, and the emails I get from listeners obviously are specifically about this, too. These are people who have either come across the Egypt Travel Blog podcast on Apple Podcasts or in iTunes, or more likely who were specifically searching for information about traveling to Egypt to get recommendations and help in planning their upcoming trips to Egypt. And that just really warms my heart because, as I'm sure everyone knows, Egypt has had such a rough go of it over the past eight years. And the enormous numbers of people who rely on the tourism sector there, they've really struggled and and gone without because of events really out of their control. And it really has been perfectly safe to travel to Egypt and explore and enjoy this country for quite a long time now. Yet, generally, the country's reputation is still that it's dangerous or at the very least, it's an edgy place to travel. And it's really not. It's really not. It's perfectly safe if you do your homework and heed advice, and if you're there with people who are looking out for you and know what they're doing and trying not to rip you off. So anyway, I just wanted to take a moment at the start of this 12th episode to say thank you for tuning in. Thank you for doing your homework on travel to Egypt and traveling smart and safe. And thank you for your interest in visiting Egypt and ignoring all your friends and relatives and colleagues who probably think you're crazy for wanting to go there. You're not, I promise. They're crazy for thinking you're crazy, and you're going to have an amazing time in Egypt, and they're going to regret not going there with you. So there. Actually, share this podcast with them to ease their minds a little bit, and maybe they'll join you too, or at least follow behind later and visit after you if you don't want them joining you. Okay, on the previously mentioned topic of the many listeners who have been in touch and emailing frequently over the past two years of this podcast being out... I wanted to finally do an episode on frequently asked questions. 
I get a lot of specific questions by email about travel to Egypt, and I always take the time to give a response that's not at all copy and paste, but rather me personally taking the time to think through the answer and respond individually to every email I get. My email address, by the way, is john at egypttravelblog.com if you want to email me too. But sometime last year, I decided to start making notes on the questions I get either frequently or infrequently, but which are nevertheless really good questions to which I thought others may benefit from hearing the answers also. So I have a list here today of some of the most common of those questions that I've responded to over the last year or so, and I'm going to go through each one of them and share those in-depth answers based on my own experiences all over Egypt over the past 15 years. So let's just dive right into it and start talking about some of the most frequently asked questions to yours truly and the Egypt Travel Blog Podcast about travel to Egypt. So here we go. Okay, first topic is a frequent one, and that's guides. A listener who's also named John emailed me about helping to plan his two-day stopover in Cairo en route to somewhere else, and he actually asked me a few questions in his email, which he took the time to bullet out and which I answered in lengthy bulleted form in turn. But the issue that was frustrating him the most was about picking the right guide to go with for his very short stopover in Egypt. Here's his specific question about guides. He says, I'm looking to hire a private guide and driver for my entire visit. I reached out to probably 20 guides via TripAdvisor, and their responses have ranged from mediocre to, and he puts in quotes, wow, they did not even read my email. Is there a private guide you recommend or a service? And previously, he opened his email by saying, first and foremost, I absolutely love the podcast. I stumbled upon it last night when looking for a podcast on Egyptian history, and I listened to all five episodes. So his was obviously last year when there were only five episodes out. And he says, this is precisely what I needed to find to plan my quick 48-hour stopover in Cairo next month. So he's obviously just going to be there for a very short period of time, just two days. And he wants a guide just for those two days. Uh, Then he went on to ask about a range of issues from hotel recommendations to itinerary structuring and finally to picking a good guide, which was the question I just read or the part of the email I just read a moment ago. And as I mentioned, this was obviously the most frustrating part of all of his research for him. Now, okay, I've talked quite a bit about guides in some earlier episodes, and I'll probably continue to talk more about them from time to time because... The guide you either pick yourself or who you end up with, if you're just randomly assigned one by a tour company, can seriously make or break your trip. If your guide is wonderful, you'll remember him or her for the rest of your life. If they suck, you'll not only remember that too for the rest of your life, but it'll ruin your experience while you're actually in Egypt trying to see and do the things that you've waited a lifetime and traveled thousands of miles to come see and do. This really is a critical decision for travelers to Egypt, and there are really a lot of low-quality guides out there in all countries, actually. They might speak English or whatever your native language is with a super thick or super hard-to-understand accent, or they might not have language skills advanced enough to be able to express themselves well enough to get their points across. But guides in Egypt have pretty strict standards for education and a knowledge base about Egyptian history. And naturally, there'll be fountains of knowledge on modern Egyptian history and society and culture. So there usually isn't that much of a knowledge differential between the thousands of guides in Egypt. And the police and the guide syndicate, which is like their national union or their national association, 
are pretty strict in making sure that people who aren't licensed guides are not out there trying to pawn themselves off as guides. That's a strict no-no in Egypt, so you don't really have to worry about running into that as an issue. I'm sure it happens, but it's rare. The bigger issue with guides is their quality of performance, their personality, and their language ability. And the differences on those three and a few other key variables can be enormous. Before I actually worked in the international travel industry, when I was living in Egypt for the first time, I hired a number of guides myself and with friends to take us around to various sites more efficiently sometimes than we can do on our own way back then. And even after I learned my way around Egypt myself and had friends come to visit me there, I would often still hire guides just to enhance their experience and so I wouldn't have to do so much talking and explaining myself really. But even later, while working in the travel industry in the Middle East, and especially in Egypt, I've worked with and employed many local guides over the years. So I've seen the entire spectrum of guides in Egypt. Trust me, there are some that are absolutely phenomenal ones. Some have even become really good friends to the point where my parents used to send them more holiday gifts and they would send me and vice versa. But the flip side of that is that there are also some really bad ones, even some really bad licensed ones. And there are a whole lot of mediocre ones in the middle who can also make the difference between a really great visit and just a mediocre visit. Now, you can afford mediocre visits to places that you know you'll be back to in the future. If you have a mad visit to the mountains or to the beach or to London or Mexico, Chances are you'll be back a time or three at least in your lifetime, right? For most people, they only do Egypt once. And even if they do it more than once, they usually hit the biggest wonders on the first trip and do other things on subsequent trips. So that's why I stress this so much in this podcast. Things like which guide you pick, which hotel you stay in, because by the way, the majority of hotels in Egypt range from mediocre to Bates Motel also Let's see, uh, which tour or travel company you go with, uh, if you're getting your logistics handled for you or going with a group, things like that. You don't want to leave it up to chance and just roll the dice with your or your family's experience of a lifetime in a place like Egypt. All right. So listener John, who wrote this email, is already doing his homework, as we can see from his question here about guides. And he's doing some Googling and he's trying to use TripAdvisor to look for guides and reaching out to them either via message or by email. Okay, let me just say this as a quick side note. TripAdvisor, by the way, is also not something you want to be using to research a trip to Egypt. I've used TripAdvisor in the past many times in various places around the world just to get some basic information and and as a starting point, really. And honestly, it may be fantastic in other destinations. In my experience, it still hasn't been. But I can tell you 100% that in Egypt, it is absolutely not a resource that's going to give you much of anything worthwhile. You know, in previous episodes, I pulled up the TripAdvisor quote-unquote top 10 list in places that we've been talking about and showed you how they've included some pretty sketchy and nasty places in what's supposedly the creme de la creme there. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not criticizing listener John here for having started with TripAdvisor and I'm not knocking it in other places around the world. It may be great. I really don't know how it is for Paris or London or Hong Kong or Buenos Aires. I can tell you, though, for Egypt, it's not trustworthy. Now, with that said, just from my experience, you can also see here that it's validated, again, for Egypt in what John has written here in his email. It looks like he's really gone all in here and doing his research and trying to find a really decent guide to hire for his two short days there because he knows he's going all in. He's going to have to see the pyramids, the Sphinx, Tour Cairo, uh, and he only has two days to do it, and then he has to skedaddle. So just to repeat from his email earlier, he said, 
I reached out to probably 20 guides via TripAdvisor, and their responses have ranged from mediocre to, quote, while they did not even read my email. So my response back to him by email was quite lengthy and was bulleted out to specifically respond to all of the things that he was asking me about for his upcoming trip. But here was my exact response back to him about the topic of guides. I said, yeah, I hear you on that big time. The quality of guides in Egypt is a huge problem. And what most people don't know is that even if you find a good one who can communicate well, many of them are in on several scams too, where they take you to certain shops and are getting a cut of everything you buy and the pressure is on. The myriad ways in which many will try to scam tourists, knowing there will be no accountability after they leave because they're probably not going to return back to Egypt, is horrendous. So I'd say two things on this. First, even the ones who don't have great written English may still speak it better than they write it and can still be good. Because remember, he said he had received quite a few crazy responses. Um, Just continuing in what I wrote back to him, it's just very hard to tell by email. And second, going with a tour company or service to pick your guide can be hit or miss. Obviously, they'll be selecting one for you, so this person could suck or be excellent. And it's just like flipping a coin as to who's available and who they call. Then I went on to write, I'd be happy to connect you with a few guides in Cairo that I know personally and who I've worked with before in trust. Just FYI, I'm not doing this through my travel company there, but rather just as a personal referral and recommendation because you took the time to reach out. I never take a cut or kickback or anything like that when I refer listeners directly to guides there. These are people I know personally and I do it to help them because they forego the scamster ways and really treat their guests right. And because you're a listener to the show and I'm happy to help, blah, 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 etc. So that was my actual response to a listener email asking about help with picking a guide on his trip to Egypt. Okay, on to the next frequently asked question from another listener. Now, if they're frequently asked questions, then obviously these aren't the only emails I'm receiving on these topics, but just one within the topic that I've randomly selected to help illustrate the question here. So another topic I get asked a lot about is safety. And I know I go on and on about how perfectly safe Egypt is, despite the occasional, and I do mean rare, incident. But take my word for it. I see American and European media too. And I have family and friends back in the States who are concerned about me traveling all over the developing world too. And as a result, you know, I get it. I think these are totally valid questions to ask. Most of us wouldn't know if a place like Egypt was safe unless we've been there ourselves to see and experience it, or if we heard in detail from someone we trusted who had been there and knew that it was and said that it was a safe place to visit. So I understand the frequent questions on this, and I just want to let everyone know, um, even though I harp all the time on how safe it is, I, I totally get and understand why people have this question, and I think it's a completely valid point to continue to uh, to ask and wonder about. So I'm always happy to continue to talk about it and continue to answer emails about it, including this one. So last summer, I got a specific email from listeners Nate and Jesse about this topic. And I chose this email in particular to highlight on this episode and talk about because in it, they actually say that they did ask someone they trusted who knew Egypt, but they still weren't sure. So here is their email. They say, Hey, John, we discovered your podcast while planning a four-month trip around the world, part of which we're planning to spend in Egypt, exploring the area for a week or more. 
We've recently been hearing of more and more travel warnings for Westerners traveling to Egypt, and one friend who is married to an Egyptian man said they have decided not to travel to Egypt this year, even though they go every year due to concerns about her safety. What are your thoughts about this? We actually plan to spend two and a half weeks overall seeing Jordan, Jerusalem, and Egypt. We are now rethinking this entire leg of our trip, much to our disappointment. We look forward to hearing from you, Nate and Jesse. Now, see, this really perplexed and concerned me a little because they say they actually have a friend who is an American woman, but who's married to an Egyptian man. So presumably she had been there before, and I'm assuming that she means he grew up there and is Egyptian and not just he's of Egyptian descent, but never lived there. So in my mind, at least, I'm giving her friend credit for also being a trusted and knowledgeable and experienced resource. But... Nate and Jesse are obviously an adventurous couple and really had their hearts set on visiting the Middle East and especially Egypt, so this was my response to them. Well, my first response to them was that I just saw their email come in on my phone and I was running out the door to an event, but I would respond more thoroughly and thoughtfully from my computer later that evening when I got back home. But then my later response, once I got back to my computer and can really sit down and put together some nuance advice, was this. Now, bear with me because it's a little lengthy, but it's a really, really substantive and honest response on this topic of safety and trusted sources on traveling to Egypt. I said, hey again, Nate and Jesse. Okay, sorry for the delay. Here we go. Bottom line up front, do go to Egypt, Jordan, and Israel if that's what you've wanted and planned to do. They're all totally safe, even though they all are subject to heightened hype about safety issues. That's not to say there aren't issues, nor is it to say that safety shouldn't be something you're cognizant of when you're there, as much as in any foreign country, especially developing countries. But letting others scare you out of seeing some of the world's and history's most incredible sites, monuments, and cities would be so disappointing. I'd bet a zillion dollars that you'll look back after visiting those countries and say to yourselves, oh my god, I can't believe we almost didn't go there. The first thing to understand about destinations in the Middle East is that they know they have major perception problems, and they know that those perception problems are due in large part to having had real security problems in the past and on occasion still. But because they've been aware of and dealing with this for decades, they've become really adept at concentrating their security resources around the places that tourists and foreigners frequent and to restricting access to the areas they don't have the resources to control. In Egypt, for example, there's tons of security around the top tourist sites in Cairo and Luxor, but if you try to drive just a little westward outside of the city on one of the roads leading into the desert, you'll pretty quickly hit a military checkpoint. And while, yes, Egypt is still largely a dictatorship, these military checkpoints are primarily there in order to prohibit unauthorized foreigners and adventurous tourists from wandering into territory that is harder for them to manage and secure. Also, many tourists don't even notice this going on, but even when you are in a vehicle or bus traveling on a main road that covers a long stretch but is still safe and guarded, such as between the Red Sea and Luxor, the staff at the military checkpoints are not just seeing who is in the vehicle. They're also notating your numbers, your nationalities, and the times that you arrived and left, and they're relaying that information to the next checkpoint so that they are alerted to any potential issues immediately if you don't make it to the next checkpoint within a reasonable amount of time. That's just one example, but the point is Egypt does security pretty darn well in places that typically host foreign visitors, and they really look out for you in ways that you don't even know but would be so impressed by if you did. 
working in the tourism sector there for years myself has shown me uh, many of these things going on behind the scenes or below the radar that I never used to notice as a regular visitor. And the same goes for Jordan and Israel. Israel is the best in the world at domestic security because they have to be. And even more so than Egypt, they strictly prohibit foreigners and even Israelis from going into areas that could be dangerous or areas in which the government of Israel has ceded security responsibility back to the Palestinian Authority. On top of that, you'll also find the people in all these countries are super, super, super friendly, especially in Egypt. They love Westerners and they genuinely appreciate those who come there because they know that those who come have been exposed to misperceptions about their countries and they came anyway. You'll see this warmth and friendliness reflected in their interactions with you. Some can also see you as a walking ATM too, but that's a whole different set of issues, LOL. And by walking ATM, I mean as a potential customer, not a theft target. That's another thing you'll find about Egyptians. You rarely ever see them even asking for money, much less trying to take it from anyone. They always want to offer something or work for it and earn it. It's quite touching sometimes, and I've parted with many dollars over the years simply because I admired their creative hustle. Okay, uh, you can see it's linked to email. It's going to continue for just a little bit more. But this is the really important part, um, I think, uh, and why I chose this email to highlight the security issue, because it goes on to talk about her friend's opinion, who is married to an Egyptian man and presumably knows a lot about Egypt as well and is giving her advice that she doesn't think she should go. So the response continues here. Now, there's also the issue you brought up, which I think is worth flagging and discussing separately, of your friend who is married to an Egyptian man saying that she wouldn't recommend you go right now. That's really surprising to me, and I'd honestly have to probably talk to them personally to dissect and analyze why they're saying that. But I would venture to bet that if you polled 20 people in her situation, in other words, who are married to a local, and assuming she's lived there too, she would probably be the only one out of 20 to say that. Now, I will say that an assessment for living there is totally different than an assessment for visiting there, and she may be merging those two things in her mind when she recommends against it. Living there, for example, and I'd assume if she was living there married to an Egyptian man, she'd be living in a local neighborhood out in the suburbs, Um, but living there creates a whole different set of issues to consider, especially if you're outside of the tourist cities and areas. But native Egyptians are also more aware of local crime, too, which can be high in any developing country. However, in Egypt, local crimes tends to be among Egyptians rather than towards foreigners. Also, there's the issue of much stiffer consequences for crimes against foreigners, which is why it's not common there at all. Um, continue to say, also think about this. There are currently tens of thousands of Americans and Europeans, even solo females, living, working, and studying all over Egypt, yet incidents are rare. Even though tourism is still very depressed, which is another reason it's such a great time to go, there are still more than 100,000 tourists going to the country every single month, and you still rarely hear of incidents ever involving foreigners. And I conclude uh, her email or my email back to her by saying, or them, by saying, okay, with that brain dump done, let me know if you have any more specific questions or want me to elaborate on any of the above. I'd also be interested to hear more about where you want to go in Egypt. The above really applies to the main areas that foreigners visit, such as Cairo, Giza, Luxor, Aswan, Red Sea, Sharm, Alexandria, etc. But if you're thinking about going to any of the less common areas like the Sinai, the Oases, and the towns west of the Nile Valley, etc., then let me know and I can give you more info on the different set of issues that visitors must contend with when visiting those parts of Egypt. As for Jordan and Israel, anywhere you're allowed to go in those countries will be perfectly fine. Hope that helps and happy to continue the conversation. Smiley face, John. Phew. All right. 
So as you can see, I had to unpack a lot in responding to Nate and Jesse's question. This was just last year in 2017. So that's why I was a little bit surprised that anyone who knows Egypt, like her friend presumably, would recommend against travel there at that time. In 2011, during the Arab Spring Revolution, okay, maybe, but... Even in 2012, the very next year after the Arab Spring Revolution, while what I call the Second Revolution was continuing, I took hundreds of American guests to Egypt that year, and I had zero problems even back then in a volatile year like 2012. But nowadays, especially, Egypt is perfectly safe. As I always tell people, I feel safer in the back alleys of Cairo at night than I do in the streets of Northwest Washington, D.C. in broad daylight. And I really mean that, especially having lived in D.C. for a decade and knowing the city really well. D.C. is a great place, and seriously, it's come a long way, and I love that city. But I personally, honestly, do feel perfectly safe in Cairo. Now, with that said, I probably wouldn't walk around any city at night alone if I were a solo female. But I think everyone understands that to be a general personal safety issue in any city in the world and not something unique to Cairo or Egypt or the Middle East. Okay, moving along. Here's another question about currency that I get a lot. This one comes from a listener named Carrie, and she says, I've been listening to your podcast, and it is incredibly helpful. We're planning a trip to Egypt in January, and I have a question I hope you can help me with. Is it better to find a place to exchange currency in the U.S., or is it better to wait until getting to Cairo? If Cairo is better, where do you suggest we make that exchange? I have been looking for this answer, and many people recommended waiting until Cairo because it is not easy to find the Egyptian pound in the U.S. right now. Thank you for your help, and thank you for the useful information you've provided on the podcast. I'm sure I will listen to them all again before we go. Carrie. All right, very good question from Carrie. Everyone wonders about cash and card issues when they travel, and Egypt is no exception. But even as far back as five or six years ago, I wrote an article for HuffPost Travel about this topic called Cash versus Card in the Middle East, which I think was later rerun and got retitled something like Using Plastic in the Middle East. But the original title that I wrote was Cash versus Card in the Middle East. And I was really talking about Egypt. So even then, I was advising people, and they were readers back then since I didn't host the podcast yet, that ATMs are quite ubiquitous in urban Egypt and even suburban Egypt, and that there's no need at all to get Egyptian cash before coming to Egypt or bring, or no need for bringing gobs of American dollars or pounds or euros over to Egypt to exchange when they get there because they're going to get clobbered on fees and it's totally unnecessary these days. So I'll tell everyone here, just like I told Carrie last year and just like I told my old Travel Columns readers years ago, you're totally fine getting your Egyptian cash in Egypt from an ATM after you get there. The exchange rates will be better than currency exchange offices or kiosks, and you won't risk losing your cash or misplacing it or getting it jacked somewhere in transit. When I personally travel everywhere, Egypt included, I always at least have a few 20s in my bag somewhere just in case, but you definitely don't need to take with you anywhere near the grand sum of what you'll want to use in cash once you get there. You don't even really need to use a lot of cash in Egypt, especially if you're with a group or under the wing of a company. You know, if you're traveling solo or hiring a guide directly, you'll need more cash because an independent guide will want to be paid in cash and site tickets need to be purchased in cash. But if you're with a group or company, they'll handle all that and you can pay them with the card. But if you do need cash in Egypt, just withdraw it from an ATM once you get there. Bam. Okay, one more frequent question and then we will wrap up. 
This next email came from a listener named Holly, and it was another one that asked for advice and recommendations on a bunch of different topics related to her upcoming trip to Egypt. So I'll read the email she sent, but then for my response, I want to focus in on one of her questions about Nile River cruises, because that's another topic I get a lot of inquiries about, mostly because listeners know that in the past, I haven't been a huge fan of them, and I'm always happy to explain why. But there are some circumstances in which I would recommend certain cruises, and Holly kind of humorously painted herself into one of those types of travelers, for which I think a Nile River cruise might actually be enjoyable. Okay, so she says, Hi, John, we discovered your podcast. It was very informative and helpful. Thanks a ton for taking the time to make it. Best source we found. My two sisters and I are planning a trip to Egypt in December and January. We are in our late 20s and early 30s, but we really don't party or drink. So it's not really important for us to be traveling exclusively with people our age. We'd probably fit in more with the rich old ladies, except we aren't rich. We are from Idaho and Utah, and we have never been to this part of the world before. She goes on to say, We're planning to spend our time in Cairo, Giza, Aswan, Abu Simbel, Luxor, at a Red Sea resort, and on a Nile River cruise, and would love your thoughts on each. We found some tours, and they do check off a lot of the things in the list, but it's tempting to go off on our own. After listening to your podcast, though, we want to find the company that's legit and not get stuck on some, quote, janky trip where we just want to die. Holly. Okay, so obviously she asked for advice and recommendations on a lot of stuff about Egypt. It actually took me about a week to get back to her, but when I did, I sent her, I kid you not, I did a word count on it again just to make sure I was remembering right. I sent her a 5,053-word response covering all of her questions and requests for advice and info. Again, there's no way I'm going to cover that whole response here, but I'm just going to focus in on the part about Nile River cruises. But real quick before I do that, I thought her response back to me was actually quite funny. When she got that 5,053-word email back from me, she responded and said, John, wow, you're amazing. Initially, we didn't want to take up much of your time, so we tried to do our homework beforehand and try to keep the question simple. When I read your response, I thought for sure at first glance that you had just copied and pasted all of that from a Frequently Asked Questions post or something. Then I read through it all, and I was touched because I realized it was all personalized to exactly what I was asking about. Ha ha, seriously, thank you in all caps. You're welcome, Holly. And then she went on to send me another long set of follow-ups. So we went back and forth for a while until I had all of her questions answered. But here's what I said back to her in that initial response email um, about my thoughts on Nile Cruises for her. I said, regarding the Nile Cruise, I'm not a huge fan of them personally, but they are suitable for some people. First of all, they tend to be very jank. I love that word. You can see. While there are some nice Western Standard hotels in Egypt, I can't really say the same for the cruise boats. There's usually one or two operating at any given time. That's an okay option, but it's hit or miss most of the time with them, and they switch out the boats often and just rebrand them because there has been such a huge surplus of them for about 10 years. So as you can imagine, the upkeep hasn't been the best, and they're not always populated nowadays, so staff and owners usually skimp on quality on the ones they operate. With all that said, I'm sure you can find one that's quote-unquote decent for Egypt if you decide you really want to do a boat float there. But you do spend a lot of time floating down unremarkable terrain, sometimes wasting a whole day to get to one site. It's nice and relaxing at first, but becomes a little boring after a day or so. Um, if you're wanting to relax and kick back while you're there, it can be a worthwhile option to get you to a new place while building in some chill time into your itinerary. Just keep in mind that they only operate in the south between Aswan and Luxor. You usually can't cruise between Cairo and Luxor. 
So that was my response back to Holly, or part of my response, on the topic that I get asked about a lot, which is Nile River cruises. Um, Before we wrap up, though, and since I'm actually looking at it now in Holly's email, or in my response to Holly's email in the very next paragraph, let me also take a moment to quickly share my response to her on another quick question, which I don't get that often, but I think is important for people to know, which is taking the train between Luxor and Cairo. So in Holly's email on that point, I continued, speaking of Cairo and Luxor, let me just take a moment to make sure I warn you about the train because she had asked about the train. Try not to take it if you can. It's very tempting when you're on a budget because you can do a sleeper car and it's cheaper than the plane and saves you a night of hotel. But unless you're really into the backpacker or hostel lifestyle, even the sleeper car is quite noisy and uncomfortable. It's hard to get a good sleep on it because of the motion of the train, the noise, the frequent stopping and starting throughout the night. And the cabins only sleep two. So if there are three of you, uh, someone would have to get a whole nother one for herself. Flights between Cairo and Luxor are pretty cheap and only an hour and just so much better of an option. Trust me, it's totally worth splurging a tiny bit over the cost of a train ticket just to fly between those two cities. So that's just another little tidbit on the train in Egypt. And actually, it was this set of lengthy exchanges back and forth with Holly answering all of her questions that first prompted me to start making notes on frequently asked questions and to start planning a future FAQ podcast episode. After she made me laugh by saying that at first she thought I had just copied and pasted a whole bunch of text, but then she was shocked to read through and find that it was all written just in response to her one email, here's what I said back to her. Hey again, Holly. No, it wasn't copied and pasted at all. I promise. That's a good idea, though. I should create a master answers doc from which I can copy and paste, then edit some common questions, but I haven't gotten that far yet. But I should at least go ahead and start a list of commonly asked questions so that I can cover them in a future podcast episode. And now, here we finally have it. Episode 12, the first Egypt Travel Blog podcast episode on frequently asked questions. There's a lot more I could cover because there are a lot more common questions and topics that listeners email me about for thoughts and advice and recommendations, but I'll have to do another episode later down the line with some more of those so that we don't go on and on here for as long as it took to build Karnak Temple. And does anyone remember the answer to that from the second episode of the two-parter on Luxor? I won't tell you here. You'll have to listen to that episode to find out because... Trust me, it was a really long time, but I promise I won't be that long before you have another episode of the Egypt Travel Blog podcast popping up in your podcast app. And I'm also excited to share the news that the Egypt Travel Blog podcast is also now on Stitcher Podcasts and will be coming very soon to Spotify and Google Podcasts. So I'm excited to see all of this info get shared with those who do their podcasting in other digital music and content services like Spotify and Google. So anyway, I'm just glad more and more people are getting solid quality info on traveling to Egypt to help them plan their upcoming trips, and I'll do my absolute best to keep putting out more frequent, deeply substantive, and relevant info for all of you to help you plan your upcoming trips to Egypt, whenever they may be. If you want to reach me, please don't hesitate to email me at john, J-O-H-N, john at egypttravelblog.com for questions, requests for advice, recommendations, or info and anything at all. I am more than happy to help, as you can hopefully see from this special episode here today. And if it's about booking travel to Egypt, you can also reach me at john at egyptelite.com, which is my travel company in Egypt. Either one is perfectly fine. And with that, I'm off to have a beer and do some more exploring. I happen to be in Spain right now, by the way, actually doing some work down here in, in Andalusia in southern Spain. 
but I will be back in Egypt yet again in just a few weeks. I can't wait. But for now, take care. I hope to see you soon in Egypt. And since I'm in Spain right now, I'll add para los hispanohablantes, cuídate. Espero que nos veamos pronto en Egipto también. And in Arabic, bil arabi, ashufak raib fi masr wa masalama.